good at telling jokes. Like for instance, one of the favorite jokes among cosmologists and and and, and particle physicists that I know of is uh, a neutrino passed through a bar. Wow, that's the whole, that's <laughs> that's the whole the joke. joke. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And if you don't get it, don't feel bad. It's, it's yeah. In economics, it's things like, well, that's why the P called the graph mean. And people go, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Once more onto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another, at least semi-sorta quasi-exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will talk about such things as digital. Uh, digital versus crypto cryptocurrencies. Yes, and other things like um, inflation and exciting things that you can talk to your kids about, like supply and demand. I'm trying to make it exciting. It's just... Well, no. We're going to talk about sports today. Oh, you're going to talk about sports. I'm, I mean, I, I'm going to. The Kansas City Chiefs won a football game. I, I didn't even know they were a football team. I know you didn't, and I didn't either until I read it. But it's, well, actually, I did know because I went to college right outside Kansas City. So you did know that they were a football team? Yeah. And I used to work at a radio station, and I was the guy who sat there and played the commercials when they had broadcast. Okay. So we're going to talk about sports. So fair warning, we're going to give some disclosures in advance, but number one disclosure is that um, we know very little about sports and we're going to talk about them this hour. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Which, Which is a lot of what we do is we talk an awful lot about something we don't know a lot about because even no. though in my case, for 40 years I have been studying a subject, I've concluded that the more I study it, the less I know about it. Right, which is the very good expert qualification is when you've been studying it a long time and still you you say you've got a lot more to know than you will ever know about it, it means you're an expert. If I you say, I got, I got this, this is easy, I, I understand this subject, that means you are not an expert. <laughs> I know the more you study on something like that, the more you're aware that you don't know. And the problem is that what I'm learning, what I learn over the years is arithmetic. It adds up. However, what I become aware of that I don't know is exponential uh, is exponential. It's multiplying so that when I finally die, I will drown in a sea of ignorance. You got a life raft or something. At least take like an encyclopedia as a life raft. It it will help. Wikipedia. Wikipedia helps on your smartphone. Yes. So this is the personal wealth coach. And we actually do have some real disclosures to give in advance. Number one is that the, the personal wealth coach is not just the name of this radio program. It is also the name of an sec registered investment advisory firm. And the people that are talking on it on the program are the principals of that firm. So having said that, What does that mean? Well, fiduciary advice is given through an investment advisory firm. And you can't do that on the radio. It'd be really nice if you could. But it would have to be a radio with just one listener because privacy issues are important. 
You don't um, have to be encrypted too. Yes, encrypted and and all that good stuff. So what we're giving on the radio is not fiduciary investment advice. It's education. Uh, we're going to talk about what things mean and how things fit in our economy and what we should be looking for as far as what's what's got growth potential and what doesn't as far as the economy goes. We'll talk about investing and some principles of all that good stuff, but this is not investment advice. It's education. Not only that, we don't pay for the radio program, but we don't get paid for the radio program. So this is not paid commercial advertisement. We've been looped into this. I've been doing this for 24 years now on the radio, and you've been doing it for 25, maybe 26. You found a tape from 1996. Yeah. Um, so... 24 and combined about half a century on the radio talking about investments in a non-paid capacity. We're trying to help people, I hope. <laughs> I really hope this is helping people. I really, really do. Uh, but you've got some other stuff. Do you want to tell us some more? Oh, I can do my favorite, my favorite one. Um, the information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. There. Good. And I missed something from the last disclosure. We do advertise on KTEM, which is the yeah. radio program, is on that. But we advertise strictly for the radio program. There. And so does KTEM advertise for the radio program. That's correct. So it, we are looking at this very definitely as an education opportunity. What you're trying to say is, Senator, there was no quid pro quo. Correct. A more imminent thing happening right now, and this is where some history can come in. Um, we've talked about 1938 multiple times, what Germany was doing with the Sudetenland and Czechoslovakia, and then went and met with, the, with Chamberlain, and I can never remember the French premier's name at that point. Uh, it's very French. He had a side role. It was in Munich. Uh, and they, amongst them, split Czechoslovakia without Czechoslovakia being bring present. Chamberlain had a non-aggression pact signed with Hitler, and he went home. Now, why is that important? Why was that a big deal? Because up till then, Hitler had said, there's a deadline, and I'm invading. And the... British thought that they were about to go to war. London was being dug up and trenches were being built and bunkers were being dug because they thought they were going to have bombers over their heads as soon as the invasion took place. So Chamberlain, after coming home and then declaring peace for our time, was met resoundingly with massive applause People were singing for he's a jolly good fellow in the streets. Five miles between the airport and the palace were lined with cheering people on his return. And it's been kind of synonymous with appeasement since then. Uh, what, what's important to recognize here is that the UK wasn't sitting on its hands for the next year after after Sudetenland and then when Hitler actually invaded the rest of Czechoslovakia, um, they were building aircraft and Navy. Uh, at the time, 
that in 1938, there was no way that the UK, UK could have had a Battle of Britain. It just was not possible. They didn't have enough aircraft. They didn't have enough people trained to fly the aircraft. Uh, it just was not possible. So they sent, spent a year ramping up their military. My fear is that Germany will not do this when, if Russia invades Ukraine. Uh, if. That's a, that if is very wobbly. It's very, very likely that they invade. You have your finger the, up, pregnant with thought. The, the prime minister was Edward Dulage. I can't. I can't even. Be, that's why I can't remember his name. Is my French accent is great when I'm mimicking the Pink Panther, but it's not a real French accent, and well, I, I just make a, make myself look bad. It's spelled Daladier, but it's pronounced Dulage, and he is such a minor footnote in history that we don't remember him. And I noticed that the French are playing pretty much the same role now. Um, the parallels between 1938 and the present are eerie, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the argument, by the way, for those of you who didn't know this, that G- Germany or Hitler and speci- specifically had for taking the Sudetenland, which is a big piece of Czechoslovakia, and without which Czechoslovakia could not be defended, was that the people in the Sudetenland spoke German. And he had determined that they were being persecuted by the rest of the Czech, by the rest of Czechoslovakia, which is the same argument, by the way, that Putin is using. Yeah. Um, he bromelcated the, the big lie under Goebbels, and he claimed that there were attacks. Once he took Sudetenland, uh, it was given to him, actually, and the yeah. UK and France forced Czechoslovakia to give it up. Then he said that Czechoslovakia was was attacking or threatening to attack Sudetenland and harm German-speaking people, and that's when he took the rest of Czechoslovakia, which, by the way, did not cause the Allies to go to war. We didn't really have Allies at that point. Well, the UK uh, declared at war at that point. Uh, no, they the, declared the invasion the, of Czechoslovakia. The no Poland. I'm the, sorry. The UK the declared war when they invaded Poland because he didn't make any pretense on invading Poland, and Poland had a treaty with the United Kingdom. Right. Um. But the, the point is that the parallels between the late 1930s and right now are absolutely eerie. If we get an invasion of um, Ukraine at this point and the Kremlin takes it over, this is – well, I think the same thing will happen again too, by the way. It's, it's probably already put into motion. The Economist had a really good article that says how Putin saved NATO. Yeah. The NATO was falling apart. But once we see an invasion of a state by uh, Russia. There's a reason for a mutual defense agreement. I think you will see people thinking maybe we do need to have uh, armies and navies and so on. It's a little late for the European states to build theirs up because it takes a while to do that. And I think probably the United States, just as the United States did, by the way, in the 1930s, it was at that point we started increasing our defense budgets and getting ready to enter World War II because we figured it was probably going to happen. Now, we didn't get ready enough, and we were looking in the wrong direction, by the way. We didn't really anticipate Japan Japan, making a major strike against us, just as we don't anticipate China making a major strike against us. But I really don't like to see history parallel like this. Not not for these ones. I I like the parallel with the Roaring Twenties, just not the World War I part. (laughs) I don't like that part of that 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 pre preluded the Roaring Twenties of the Twentieth Century. So, well, 
we're, we're looking this at this more like World War II. Yeah, it, if if Russia invades Ukraine, we're not going to have a military response. Neither is the rest of Europe. It's just not going to happen. We're not capable of it. We're not in a place where we can. However, the rest of the NATO countries around there are getting troops sent to them right now by NATO and getting equipment sent to them right now by NATO. Poland just signed an $8 billion tank manufacturing agreement with the United States, which is not what Russia wanted to happen because Poland's tanks do not compare to Russia's tanks right now. But if they get the Abrams in there, the Russians' tanks don't compare to that. Um, they've got some really, really newer kind of one-man tanks that are not really in production and cost way too much for Russia right now, but they keep kind of parading them out to show that they exist like AI tank. Um, but that's not in full production and it won't be for another decade. So what we're looking at is we are beefing up the presence. The big question is, will Germany, will France... Because they're the ones that are most likely the, the soft belly of Europe right now. They're, they're, their defense is really, really pitiful at the moment. They don't have a functional air force in Germany. It's just, it's not functional. Now, uh, we had another email come in. I think it's very important that we mention. Oh, yes. This is a good one. Go right ahead. This is from Don. He said, if the Republicans had won the last election, maybe we would have had Sarah Palin helping handle the Putin situation. And the headline would be Palin drone strike on the Palin drone, drone. Palin drone date. Yes. So this was a pun on palindromes. A palin right. pun. Palin pun on palindromes? We probably ought to explain the palindrome in question, though. Uh, yes, the date of 22222 or 022222 or 2202222, depending on how you read, write the date. The date can be read the same way in both directions. Yes. That makes it a palindrome. And if Palin, if Palin were the Secretary of State or Secretary of Defense or something, then it could be a Palin drone strike on the Palin drone. Right. So, Don, thank you very much for creating punishment for uh, our entire audience he called it a silly dad joke and I, I i don't i think it probably exceeds even the silly dad joke realm but it's in that general vicinity it's very punish and mm -hmm. the act of using puns in that way is punishment so we wholeheartedly agree with this form of punishment but uh, many folks will groan and groan and groan some more and maybe even change the channel but they probably should not have been listening to a, an economics program at the beginning if they can't take puns. Just, just saying. Right. That's all I'm saying. Because economists are not very good at telling jokes. Economists and, and physicists and uh, cosmologists are generally not good at telling jokes. Like, for instance, one of the favorite jokes among cosmologists and, 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 and particle physicists that I know of is uh, a neutrino pass through a bar. That's the whole, that's <laughs> that's the whole, the whole joke. joke. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, and if you don't get it, don't feel bad. It's, it's yeah. In economics, it's things like, well, that's why the P called the graph mean. And people go, ha ha ha. ha. 
Yeah, and the rest yeah. of the world is like, that wasn't funny, even a little bit, even a little. But we're, we're still laughing. So, uh, hey, it's he who laughs last, laughs longest, right? Or at least they last laughed. One of those things. I like the one about the two molecules, the two atoms that are walking along together. And one of them said, I just lost an electron. And are you sure? Said, are you sure? And the, other, and the one that said that initially said, I'm positive. Yes. It's quite good. And you probably, high school physics will teach you the meaning of that one. Mm-hmm. But that's on the verge of this, being this rational. Is, I don't know if we can continue this conversation. It's too polarizing for me. That's <laughs> <laughs> You're triggering me. Okay. Uh, so we, we will now go on to talk off of our uh, admittedly great humor to us, but we've had bad reviews on the humor. Really? Um, by people, yeah, my wife basically tells me I've told that joke before a lot. So? So um, that's the bad review. So she's, got, she's got to keep me in check. Otherwise, I will tell her the same joke every day for 20 years and think it's still funny. And she's like, it's not funny. But it was funny the first time. Why is it not funny now? It should be. Yeah. I guess we could go on and talk about the underlying economy that the headlines are missing right now because there's I, an imminent war in Europe. Right. I think this is great. We, I had a couple of meetings this week where this popped up and I said, and I was talking about the good news. And they were like, why are we not hearing about this? And I'm like, well, because every time you open a newspaper site right now or go to any news channel, you see figure skaters falling down and crying or you see... Um, skiers falling down and crying. There's something very cold going on somewhere that everyone is very interested in and therefore economics is in the background again, as it probably should be. Well, I don't know. I think it's important. Um, Crying figure skaters are more important, evidently. Uh, some, Some interesting things happened this week. Now, if you have a really long memory and can remember last week. What were we talking about just now again? Yeah. I'm... What you can remember that the uh, the reason given by the bears who when the market slumped last week, it went up and then it slumped was that uh, there was a danger that the that the Federal Reserve was going to hike interest rates in March by half a percent. Well, that went away this week when the speeches of the members of the federal voting members of the Federal Reserve Board said, no, 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 no. Quarter point is about as far as we're going to go. And we may have a bunch of a series of quarter point increases, which is very smooth. So towards the middle of the week, the market started up on that, but it didn't make the big news that a half point was going to do retail sales. This is a big one. Now, normally in January, you see retail sales way down. And in fact, the nominal number was down from December, but it's always down from December. The unusual number that came out was that retail sales jumped 3.8% in January from December after seasonal adjustment. Wait a minute. Uh, Wait a minute. Just, 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 this sounds very dry. Retail sales jumped 3.8% in January. This is one month. This is why crying figure skaters are, are easier to watch because that doesn't mean anything to most people. One well, month of have, that, if you look at that year by year going into the, I mean, like for the whole year, we're talking about an increase of sales that is really high, really high. Even if that was just the annual average rather than each if, month, it would be really, really good. 
we had as much increase in retail sales in January as we typically have in a really good year in the United States. Now, the United States gross domestic product, which we were talking about last hour, is generated about two thirds of the gross domestic product of the United States is generated by consumer spending, most of which is retail sales. And with retail sales up 3.8% in January, right in the middle of the Omicron surge and in blizzards, we normally see a big sag in the economy across the board uh, in January. We see a sag in home sales in January because, very frankly, up in the Northeast, it's really hard to slog through the snow to see a house. And instead, home sales rose 6.7% in January. What th th There's a lot of other information here uh, that indicates the United States economy is still cranking it out really, really well. But there's some these big numbers tell you the story. The United States economy is still spinning up. It is still accelerating. Uh, we have an abundance of cash on hand the, as a percentage of of the balance sheets across the board in the United States. We have the largest amount of cash on hand available to spend that has been that has been seen since we've been keeping numbers on these things. And I want to add one other thing in here, and I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay. For the first, I, I found myself participating in what I was uh, researching about yesterday. For the first time in two years, I took my wife out to a restaurant to eat last night. Whoa. And we tried three restaurants before we could find a place where we only had to wait an hour to get a table. Right. And there were plenty of employees there. Uh, although the first restaurant looked like they were probably short on employees. It was a jammed, even, even in 2019, when the economy was going nice and strong and we didn't have a pandemic going on, or in January of 2020 before the pandemic hit, the surge of people that we saw on the highway, the trucks we saw on the highway last night, the traffic that we saw everywhere last night, the people in restaurants that we saw last night was significantly greater than what we saw in 2019 and January 2020. Yeah. So what the Wall Street Journal and economists are observing, which is there is a tremendous surge in services-related and goods-related enterprise and buying and selling in the United States, which is what our GDP is made of is real and it's happening out there and i i use the term gangbusters from time to time which is very very outdated but no it's just dated. we're coming back like gangbusters it's just dated it's not outdated it's not outdated oh you you would yeah i think it's just a dated reference i i understand it, what you mean i think it most dates people back to the 1920s by the way in 30s right with the alcohol when when that was against the constitution mm -hmm. yeah Right. Right. So what we're seeing in the United States right now, and I suspect it's going on elsewhere as well, is a tremendous acceleration in economic activity from an, an amazing high. Uh, I think probably within a matter of a couple of months, uh, Moody's uh, back to normal index will hit 100. It's at 91 point something. It jumped from uh, 80 something last month to 91 this month, 
And, and um, by the way, that that index is measuring a lot of the details of our economy and our workforce and a bunch of other stuff to say what we were before pandemic and what we are after pandemic. I don't know how long the index is going to last. Will they keep well, doing they, it after it hits 100% again, do you think? Or will it slowly well, fade into the background? It'll fade into the background, although they may talk about it occasionally. Recognize that they're, I like to use their index as opposed to some others that are out there because their 100% would indicate that we have arrived at the point where had we continued to grow at the same rate we grew prior to the pandemic, we would be. It's not right. not a break even yeah. from where the pandemic began, but actually what we should have been the growth that, that would have occurred otherwise. Yeah. And we're we're doing very nice. We got what yeah, it rose from eighty nine point four to ninety one point two uh so, as of the middle of February. So that's still eight and a half percent or eight point eight percent below overall what we were pre pandemic. Mm -hmm. A lot of our listeners ha find that hard to comprehend because they look around and they feel better off than they were prior to the pandemic. A few of our listeners understand it pretty well. If you got laid off and it took a while to find your job again, even with, with unemployment, it, it certainly paid more than minimum wage on unemployment, but unemployment is not, that's not lucrative for most people. Uh, there's this feeling, and it's a good feeling, it's a feeling we need to defend, that people are milking the system. But the reality, and when I say it's a good feeling and it's one we need to defend, if we don't have that feeling, we'll let people milk the system. But the reality is that most people on unemployment are not milking the system. The vast majority on unemployment are not milking the system. We don't want the system to be milked the vast majority of the people that were unemployed were getting paid more while employed than while unemployed. That's the way the system is supposed to work. And we had a lot of people unemployed. A lot of people got laid off. And this is hard to remember because it was almost two years ago now. But it was a big deal. Uh, the highest wave of unemployment that we've seen in one moment since World War II when we laid everybody off in the military. So there, there's not a really easy comparison there. Those of you who didn't lose your job, you're probably much wealthier today than you were pre-pandemic. Those of you that lost your job, a lot of you are probably up to parity and maybe a little above it, but there's still a good portion of people that are feeling the pain, uh, that are still feeling the pain. There are businesses that have not recovered yet that are still reeling because they had to dip so far into savings and, and bend over and, and scrape the ground for any kind of money they could find from the government to keep people employed. Uh, some of that was given back, but there's, I mean, it doesn't replace revenue. It just replaced what you would have paid to a staff that is way below profits. So there's a lot of folks out there that are still feeling it. When we say back to normal index is looking better at 91.2, that is fantastic. It means that a lot fewer people are feeling it than they were before. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal that I think is 
very accurate. And if you have an opportunity to read it, you, if you take the journal or have access to it, it says March 2020, how the Fed averted economic disaster. Had the Federal Reserve, and for that matter, the Congress and the President, not taken the very, very strong stimulative moves that they did, there is a very high probability we would have had a depression. We had such a high unemployment rate and a degree of fear and, a, and a, such a high degree of let's, I mean, the evidence is there in toilet paper alone. Let's hoard and hunker down. That had we not undertaken the level of stimulus that we did, there's a very high probability we would have generated a depression. A depression. Yeah. And that depression alone would have generated probably world war. Uh, history was dodged. We dodged the bullet one more time on history what, on this. And I think that's important to recognize. And if we look over, we were talking about Russia. One of the major reasoning factors for an invasion of Ukraine is there's a much larger number of deaths in Russia from COVID than in, and then reported. And this mm -hmm. is, uh, this is one of those things that, <clears throat> we do an internship program at our office occasionally. And in the middle of the outbreak of the pandemic, we had an intern, an MBA intern. And I was looking at as a demonstration to find good data versus bad data and how to tell the difference when you're looking at economics, when you're looking at management, you need to be able to judge if the, if the data is valid and there are certain numbers of things that you can look at to tell you right away. And when you look at the statistics, which were reported by everybody on the planet, basically, except for most of Africa, on infection rate and test rates, and it was compiled, this is the most watched infectious moment in history. I mean, there's more stats on this than we have on any other disease, just no comparison. Russia's infection rate didn't have these weird little drops in it that happen in every other country's infection rate. When you show those statistics, it's because on the weekends, you don't do tests or you don't report the tests because people are taking the day off. Well, Russia's data didn't have that in it. It was just this kind of smooth line and, and it was pretty low. And yet when social media is looked at, there were a lot of people that were sick. If you combine that and you look at what impact that's had on our already weak Russian uh, economy, uh, then you can see a lot, a lot, a lot of reasoning for them pushing. You know, you, know, you find, a, find an enemy outside the country. It's the old playbook. Point at somebody else and then you're not the one in trouble. And if you just recall... It's only, it was less than a year ago that there were massive um, demonstrations in Moscow and across Russia against Putin, directly against Putin. They have disappeared. Now, he arrested the, the leaders of the opposition, but those people are not marching on the streets anymore. What happened? Well, what happened is he's able to find a threat outside the country, and, and now it's, it's not Russian to be anti-Putin. Uh, therefore, they've got to you know, join up and go uh, look at the external threat. 
It's an old playbook. Uh, you also throw in the fact, as I've mentioned in the past, Russia's government funding is 54% derived as of 2019 from oil revenue. Gazprom is a state-owned company. 54% of the government budget is oil revenue. The price of oil has gone from around $60 a barrel to $90 a barrel during this time of uh, increased movement around Ukraine. That's a 50% a fifty increase in oil revenue. Or the equivalent of about 80% of the government can now be funded by oil revenue rather than 54%. He's more than paid for the maneuvers. He's more than paid for a short war. Uh, and the war will continue to be paid for as long as oil is being purchased from Russia. And China's going to buy oil from Russia if the Europeans don't. So th this is a lucrative opportunity for him, and it's kind of a no-brainer on his side. Um, there is a significant event that occurred this last month that I think we may have overlooked. What's that? Um, the United States became the largest exporter of natural gas in the world. That is not significant. Russia, that is very not significant. Russia, which exports by pipeline. We're doing it by the ship. the United States that exports by ship. It was previously Qatar, which is sometimes pronounced Qatar, but it's not. It's Qatar. Yeah. Um, and and we literally are Europe is lining up to buy con long term contracts, which we've hesitated to do before. And this is an interesting factor that has to do with Russia's threatened invasion. And by the way, the the New York Post is reporting right now that um, the Russians are accusing the uh, Ukrainians of shelling into Russia proper. Washington Post. Um, yeah. yeah, the Washington Post is is reporting that. And it's interesting because the Ukrainian artillery doesn't have enough range to shell into Russia, but Russia is, has initiated a big investigation, a criminal investigation, because theoretically Ukraine has been shelling Russia, which is the kind of thing, by the way, that's, that that's, nations say before they invade somebody right. else. That's what you do when, when somebody has surrounded you with lots more guns than you have. You, you throw the first punch, right? That's that's generally what. Yeah. You, well. No. No. It's not. That's not a punch. That if somebody shot uh, mortars or artillery into Russia and didn't hit anybody, it's near a village. You you can bet that's not what they would do to throw the first punch. That would be not very smart. But in essence, Russia is saying Ukraine has now attacked Russia. Right. Which is not a good sign, by the way. Uh, if they were going to back down from war. The other thing is, uh, other than the fact that we have become the, the largest exporter and we apparently are lining up big contracts with Europe right now to send natural gas to Europe. Right. Um, U.S. import prices jumped 2% in January, which sounds bad, mainly because the price of fuel went up dramatically. But there's a better side to this. Export prices went up 2.9%. Our exports are less in volume than our imports, obviously, leading to a trade deficit that really isn't there. But this pattern has been going on for most of the last year. 
you see export prices rising faster than import prices. This is a steady pattern that's going on, and there's a reason for it. Most of what we import is raw material or mass-produced something, which in many cases, we did, the design of the item was in the United States, and we import pieces of it or we import finished products or whatever. But the quality wait, of wait. exports from the United States... N not Finnish, like from Finland, but right. finished. But sometimes from Finland, too. So finished, finished products. Yes. Right. But I... I'm gonna go there. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I did, and I'm. And I'm that was a I'm, bad pun. I'm not even sorry. That wasn't even a dad joke. <laughs> You're just making me proud now. The important thing to recognize: there was a time that I remember very well when "made in Japan" meant junk. "Made in Germany" still has a ring to it that says, "Oh, this is high quality stuff," or "Made in Switzerland." The rest of the world right now has a perception that is quite accurate, that if it's made in the USA, it's high quality and worth paying more for. Right. E even today in China, that's, that's a big part. If you have an American-made item, it's worth bragging about. And that's at a time when America is not held in high esteem, to, to put it lightly. So... There's a lot of good news out there. Unfortunately, it doesn't make the uh, news media because it's a lot more fun to beat up on whoever's in office and, and blame the world situation on whoever is in the White House. And, yeah, I and always look at the conglomerate of political cartoons Saturday morning before the program for the week. Oh, that's dangerous. I, I know, but I because I get it from a source that's like combining political cartoons from all sources... I get to run the spectrum of Biden what, running around with a with a, a butterfly net trying to catch the gorilla with inflation on his chest, um, or Trump still in the news uh, eating uh, papers and flushing them in the toilet, and and all of it acted with this extreme seriousness, even in its humor, to say this is such a bad thing. And yet we were all looking at crying figure skating. And um, yes, so priorities are funny. Uh, what we look for in the news are, is funny. And what we see in our projections are funny. We're trying to measure this stuff. And this is one of the, I think this, I get this question, question a lot about predictions and why it's so hard to predict, you know, whether a company's going to make it, whether a country's going to make it, what's, it's because there's a bunch of people. People are weird and strange and make weird decisions and sometimes elect people that aren't expected and the polls are going, but I took an average poll and um, it's hard to predict what we do as people. We're whimsical and we can get excited about things and we could get angry about things and just as quickly forget about them. Um. You said this at the beginning of the first hour, but I think it's it's worth repeating. If we look back at Georgia, Georgia as in the country, not the state, and the invasion of Georgia by Russia, if we look at the taking of Crimea by Russia, if we look at 
Azerbaijan and Russia's involvement there. And we look at what happened in the market at each of those events. And we think back to it now. Oh, yeah, I vaguely remember Georgia something or another. Didn't that happen? Yeah, they invaded a country and took a big chunk of it and have been sitting in that chunk ever since. And none of the rest of the world recognizes that it exists except that it's there. And part of Georgia is not under the control of Georgia anymore. A part of Ukraine is not under the control of Ukraine anymore. It's, it is part of another country. Which brings up an ancient dad joke. What, what's that? Peace. Russia just wants peace. Yeah, there you go. Wants peace of Ukraine, wants peace of Georgia, wants peace right. of Donbass. When we look back at each of those events from now, they're almost they're they're really foggy, vague things in our memory. But at the time, the markets reacted with corrections. The markets said "Whoa!" and and got scared, and then kind of recovered when they realized, "Wait a minute, we don't hold, we don't buy a bunch of stuff from Georgia, do we? We don't sell a bunch of stuff to Georgia, do we? Well, what what really happened there? Well, I don't know, but it was wrong, and it makes me sad. It makes me angry. Well, the market reacts to that stuff." And we have more trade with Ukraine than we do with Georgia. But it's still a very small amount. What's more dangerous is what happens next. It looks like the buffer zone around Russia of non-NATO countries are either becoming NATO countries or becoming Russia. And what that leaves is less area to expand in the future for Russia without starting a very major war. Which, by the way, was the pattern that led up to World War II. Yeah. Same pattern exactly. So as long as we recognize the threat and ramp up production on the military side and let him know that we're not going to stand for it and that we've got troops in place, because we didn't with Poland in World War II. Poland was invaded and, and they, by the way, they... They took out more tanks in the invasion of Poland than the invasion of France, Nazi tanks. Mm-hmm. And they did it with the majority of their cavalry having four legs. Right. So it's just an interesting... Poland is an interesting place. I'm really glad they're part of NATO and not, not part of NATO because they're really actively pro-NATO stuff because they've got somebody on their border... That might want to invade them at some point. Probably do, would invade them if they weren't NATO. So anyway, what you said earlier about uh, Putin has revived NATO. There really wasn't a reason for NATO to exist without this. And Putin is just saying, hey, it's a good reason to be there. We just need to get some further cooperation from Germany on this. France is actually beginning to pull its weight. They're upping the amount they're spending on defense. Spain is upping the amount it's spending on defense. Germany's just not. And that's not good. I mean, it's really not good. Germany's in an awkward position where it gets almost all of its winter fuel gas to heat the houses from Russia. And Russia could, in a moment, freeze out Germany and shut down its economy. Yeah. Which we have objected to through a succession of presidents going back quite a ways, their dependence upon Russia. 
It's also good to remember that there are still cultural effects that last over the long term. Right. It's a lot of people don't remember their high school history or whenever they studied this. Russia and Germany were allies at the beginning of World War II. That's right. And they basically set up a deal where when the invasion of Poland, which really officially started World War II, um, Russia invaded Poland at the same time that Germany did. Russia invaded from one side and Poland invaded from the other. And here's the interesting point. Um, Germany invaded from the other. Yeah. Right. Part of what was originally Poland is still in Russia. Russia never gave it up. And they have no intention of giving it up. So the, the Axis powers that started World War II, yes, Italy was involved and Japan was involved and so on. The one nation that was successful in hanging on to World War II conquered territory was Russia. And I don't think they've forgotten that. They won, as far as they're concerned, they won in World War II. And and long history is something that Americans really don't get their mind around. Uh, and if I could, we're we're about to, we need to do commercials, but I've yeah. got something I want to say about that on the other end. Okay. Okay. Let's play some commercials. We, if you'd like to join the conversation, we've got email addresses in here: Jeff at tpwc.com and Jake at tpwc.com. That's Tango, Papa, Whiskey, Charlie, or the Personal Wealth Coach. And we'll be back on the. All right, we're about out of time. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give fiduciary investment advice at The Personal Wealth Coach. Uh, You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can phone us as well, 254-947-1111 or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN on thepersonalwealthcoach.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can send us information through the contact form. And you've got uh, lots and lots of podcasts available out there. If you want to listen to the radio program as it was, you can go to our webpage. If you want to hear all the little bite-sized pieces uh, of the podcast, go to any podcast provider. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.